Welcome to Market Scale Sports and Entertainment. I'm your host, Sean Heath, and today I'm getting ready to have a conversation with Dustin Eldridge. Dustin is, of course, a certified financial planner with Carter Wealth. Dustin, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well. I want to talk just off the tracks here for just a second. Please explain the difference between wealth and net worth, because a lot of people get those confused. Yeah, yeah, so a lot of people do get the the difference between wealth and, and net worth confused. You know, net worth is all of what you have. You know, that includes all of your investable assets, your home, your vehicles, all the other, you know, personal assets you may have, all of which isn't necessarily available to use at any given moment. So when we talk about wealth, we talk about all of the assets you have that you're able to utilize to whether grow your net worth or invest in something that you know you think might be a great opportunity on top of that wealth are includes things such as protecting all of your net worth so your wealth may include insurance as well so there's there's a more i guess breadth to wealth than just net worth, and then there's parts of net worth that aren't necessarily part of your wealth. A lot of people think that wealth involves large numbers, but that's not necessarily true, right? The wealth is relative to each individual's situation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, wealth, depending on what your lifestyle is in particular, you know, you could be wealthy or you could be poor, depending on what the lifestyle is you're looking to lead or what your goals are. Uh, so it's very relative. With all of the recent news on the on the contracts that are being signed in in all major sports, the numbers are just astronomical for quote unquote regular people. Um, but I don't think that's really fair to classify athletes as non regular people. They're regular people. They just have extra zeros in their paychecks. I'm curious though if they are regular people, why? do athletes seem to have such a challenge with with not going broke that's that's the big question today that's what i want to look at today uh, if if i'm earning say $30,000 a year uh, it's possible to live on that it's hard to do but it's possible to live on that at a you know at a at a pretty medium level and then you hear stories about athletes who made 20 million dollars and it's all gone like 4 or 5 years later why do athletes specifically fall into that trap of spending way more than they make? Well, I think it's a variety of factors. I think number one is they come into these larger zeros at a very young age. Uh, so when you when you know you may make thirty thousand dollars for ten years, and then in your thirties or forties you may jump up and make a hundred or two hundred thousand for regular people, quote unquote. But you know, you have athletes, Baker Mayfield making over $20 million in guaranteed money as the number one draft pick, and he's 22 years old. So they're coming into large amounts of money at a young age, and they haven't even experienced life. So, I mean, I think that's one factor. I think throughout their even formative years before that, you know, a lot of the athletes don't come from a background where they're taught how to manage money, even on a small scale in a $30,000 budget. So, there's the life they live in their young years. They come into a lot of money. And then also the environment that they're in is a lavish lifestyle. With that amount of money, you have people coming at you from all angles, whether it's families, 
family members or other individuals uh, that are around you who are looking for an investment, looking for help. Uh, and then you also have all of the partying that goes on as a still 20 something year old with millions of dollars. So I think it's a, a variety of kind of meteors all hitting athletes at once when they come into this, this type of wealth that causes them to have difficulties in either maintaining it, growing it, keeping it. And, and then also the factor of their lifespan as an athlete, as far as their career is extremely short in most cases. So that those factors all play into why they have difficulties. You know, the, the average professional sports career in my mind has always appeared like a winning lottery ticket. Now, sometimes that winning lottery ticket is through just hard work and effort. And sometimes it's just a genetic lottery. You just happen to be seven foot tall and pretty athletic. So, you know, your odds increase dramatically. And a lot of these uh, athletes, as you mentioned, they don't come from socioeconomic backgrounds where there was a lot of financial, even stability. I'm talking guys that are in the NFL that were hungry when they were kids and were going to football practice eating one meal a day. It seems like a lot of the athletes that didn't grow up with a lot of money, when they do get these large contracts, they do fairly well, surprisingly well. And But you have guys on the other end of the spectrum that grew up middle class, and when they get their money, all bets are off. Is that a stereotype for a reason, or is there some truth to that mathematics? I, I think there's some truth to that mathematics because – you know, the person who grew up with absolutely nothing, there's a reason why they've been able to work so hard to get to where they're at. And then once they get the money or, or have the career as an athlete, you know, they never want to experience what they experienced growing up. And in most cases, they never want their mother or father or family in general to experience what they experienced growing up. So there's, it continues that drive that got them to NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, whatever it is, that drive continues because they just never want to fall back into that environment that they grew up in. Versus, to your point, the maybe middle class, you know, young athlete growing up, they didn't maybe have everything they wanted, but they had majority of the things that they could have ever desired or thought of. And then when they all of a sudden get the money, now it's like they're in a completely different stratosphere and they don't have that same you know, horrific experience in some cases that continues to drive them never to have it again. They don't have that to draw from and drive them. So they tend to fall in the trap of, well, now I'm not middle class, now I'm upper class, I can spend a lot more. So I think that it's not a stereotype. It's just, it's the nature of the upbringing that continues to drive somebody. Do you find that clients that had that struggle, that had that personal challenge, do you find they're the ones that are more likely to use common sense when it comes to all of the simple things that they can do for planning security and retirement and their kids? Do you find they focus it from a little more pragmatic viewpoint? Absolutely. And in fact, I think we have more conversations today with clients of that type of upbringing that we're actually trying to get them to be less pragmatic and you know less risk adverse because they end up almost saving for a future and not living for today in some instances. 
So it's almost, we've seen the pendulum swing even maybe too far that direction with people from that type of upbringing. Let's talk about risk, but not in a gambling mentality. Let's, let's talk about risk from an investing standpoint. What are some of the pitfalls that athletes fall into with regards to investing if they're not properly advised? What are some of the what are some of the dangers that they face? Well, the first danger is, you know, I think immediate family members that they either feel the need or desire to take care of uh, in helping them because they were helped them grow up and get to where they're at. So I think that's the first pitfall that somebody who comes into money, whether it's an athlete, honestly, or somebody who sold a business, all of a sudden family members kind of come out of the woodwork and start asking for help. So that's the first trap a lot of these types of individuals fall into and the risks that they face. The other risks are just the spending, you know, buying a house, buying a car or multiple cars or boats. It's just buying the stuff that gets you even the base of the lifestyle that you think you should have when you have, you know, $10 million a year coming in. So it's family and buying stuff that I think are the first two risks. And then the other risk is you have all of these advisors, whether they're financial advisors, sports agents, you know, personality advisors who start to come at you and are looking to help you. And unfortunately, not all of them are really looking out for your best interest. You know, there's a large number that are looking out for their own interest and in trying to either make money on, off of you or get money from you. And so I think those are the three major risks, you know, helping family members, buying just stuff at the outset that maybe was beyond what your means really should be purchasing, and then having advisors come at you that just aren't good for you. You know, every day for these athletes is not an episode of Shark Tank. They get pitched ideas in just some incredibly involved investments when they're valid opportunities like restaurants or bars, uh, speculative things like real estate. Uh, they get pitched these ideas all the time. And some of those take a real time investment. They're not incredibly stable. The returns can be big, but the losses can be equally big. So I think boring is probably a good middle-of-the-road approach. My grandfather always said, better to be busy than bored and broke. And do you find that boring or, I guess, basic investments are starting to become more attractive to these athletes because they understand that it's sound financial planning? Yeah, I think that it is becoming more the norm, and it's being talked about more in public, whether you have the Kirk Cousins of the world or Rob Gronkowski's you know, that are out there, Carl Nassib recently on Hard Knocks, talking about his 10% return uh, on average every year. And whether it's the rise of index funds as well, you know, more athletes are starting to talk about taking care of themselves for the future by just taking care of the basics, just living within their means or on a set salary or stipend, whatever they give themselves and not doing these outlandish things, investing in restaurants in South Florida or in California, and instead just doing the boring stuff. Let me take care of me and my family. Let me make sure I have insurance policies to cover my body, for one, but also all of the things that I own and my life. 
uh, which obviously there's a lot going on as far as the shortening of life that comes from being a pro athlete. So they're starting to take care of those baby steps, you know, saving for college for their kids. They are starting to take care of those things. And I think it's, it's risen because more of them are talking about it in the media. And there's more information, whether it's Twitter or all the other platforms that we now hear what athletes believe and think. Uh, and you can access it from anywhere. So I think that has all helped the rise of let's take care of the basic things first. And then we can start to make these huge investments or, you know, small investments that turn into huge things, but need time in order to turn into those large returns. So let's take a moment to talk about a couple of success stories. Uh, first, tell me the story about Kirk Cousins' uh, vehicle, because that story just cracks me up. And then secondly, let's talk about Kobe Bryant and how he took a page out of Magic Johnson's post-career playbook. Yeah, I think those are both really good examples of success stories from two really different angles. You know, Kirk Cousins, uh, so I grew up a Michigan State fan, and so I followed him for, for a long time through his time there and then with the Redskins and obviously now with the Vikings. And when he first was drafted by the Redskins, if you remember, you know, he was drafted, the second quarterback they drafted in that draft after they picked Robert Griffin III second overall. So, you know, he went into the NFL already at a major disadvantage because Robert Griffin III was the future of the Redskins and he was just an afterthought. So he went into it fully knowing that this may not be what he does for the rest of his life or even for the next five years of his life. So he did a kind of a crazy thing. He bought his grandmother's van for $5,000 when he was in college and he just kept driving that for his, I think, first four or five years in the NFL all while he always had a roommate who was another player on the team and a, just a small apartment. And so he managed his, his income he was receiving, which was large and guaranteed relative to regular people again. But he, he kind of did some crazy things. The minivan, I mean, it was an old 1990s minivan from his grandmother that he was driving around for years. And oh, by the way, in the summertime, he lived in his, base, his parents' basement with his now wife before they were married. So he didn't even have a home that he lived in uh, outside of his apartment. And let's talk about Kobe Bryant, because what he's done off the court, I, I, Magic Johnson is the only real comparison that I can make as far as a post-sports career for an athlete in business. Yeah, I mean, Kobe, and he started, and I think that's one of the points to make as well. Kobe and any of these athletes start these types of kind of thought process around what do I want to do after I'm done playing basketball in this instance, very early in their careers. And so Kobe throughout his career had, was trying to figure out, you know, what do I want to do after this? Being in LA, of course, he had a lot of opportunity to see different industries that he might want to get involved in. Um, and he's had a lot of success, even more so recently, obviously in the production and entertainment side of things with winning awards, uh, for Oscars, uh, for things that he's he's been involved with. So, but he also was making smart decisions from investing his money in businesses outside of what he thought he wanted to do, which is entertainment. And his investment in Body Armor, which is becoming more popular, but is really a competitor to Gatorade, uh, which has been around for a number of years and is the main sports drink in the industry. And 
He invested $6 million originally or over a span of time anyways. And now as of this year, that $6 million is worth over 200 million, which sounds like a great investment. It really was. But if we look at Kobe Bryant, different from Kirk Cousins, who had maybe a, a relatively small salary in an athlete's terms at the time when he was living way below his means, you know, even Kobe's $6 million investment was relatively small when you look at his career earnings of $680 million, including endorsements, you know, that's less than 1% of what he made over his playing career. So it's the same story of making investments or making decisions that are within your means, not going outside of your means, but are both great success stories. Obviously Kirk now being a star quarterback and making 84 million guaranteed over the next three years, and Kobe making a small investment from his overall net worth or wealth uh, and getting a very large return and something that he you know, was passionate about, but not what he's even doing post-career. Let's talk about the other side of that coin. We talked about success. There are some shockingly dramatic failures, specifically in the NFL. Talk to me about the number of NFL players that are under financial stress almost immediately after they retire. Yeah, it's it is extremely shocking. You know, statistics I've seen are someplace in the 75 to 80 percent of NFL players have gone broke or in some sort of financial stress just two years after retirement. And I mean, their career could have lasted two years or it could have lasted 10 years. But that's a large percentage that within two years, no matter how long it was after they're retired, that they have financial stress for regular people. If they saw how much those players made, they wouldn't couldn't even imagine having stress within two years after retirement. Um, so it's kind of hard to fathom when you hear 75 to 80% have some sort of financial issue or are broke within two years of retirement after playing in the NFL. It's, it's an, it's, it's a very large percentage. Now, as someone who's good at math, as you are, a certified financial planner, so you pay attention to dotting the I's and crossing the T's when it comes to money, it seems that it would be really simple to follow the mantra, have more money coming in than I have going out. Yeah, it really should boil down to that simple rule. Um, but, you know, for athletes, we've talked about a lot of the reasons why it becomes difficult. Family, bad advice, the lifestyle that goes with it. But it's also difficult for regular people. You know, the keeping up with the Joneses uh, is a real thing. And as, as our world evolves faster and faster every year, there's more and more stuff to go buy or invest in. So it, it seems simple, but when you live life, it, it is very difficult for a lot of people. Now, you're quoted as saying that most athletes are essentially pre-retirees with retirement very close on the horizon. So if you were to have a professional sports career, knowing the average length of career and all of the things that go into it, what sport is Dustin Eldridge going to be on SportsCenter for? I think the best sport, if you were looking for a financial standpoint, is going to be the Major League Baseball. If you look at the base fact that a Major League Baseball salary is a 100% guaranteed contract, I mean, that's a that's a huge advantage over certainly the NFL, where guaranteed money is what every player is arguing over Odell Beckham Jr. of recent. You know, that guaranteed money, whether you're hurt 
or not, you're going to get paid is, is a big part of the factor. Plus, Major League Baseball has a large number of players uh, with a large number of teams and players on each team. So there's a much more likelihood that you could play professionally in Major League Baseball. And you've seen that throughout history. Choices like Charlie Ward was a star at Florida State in both football and basketball, and he chose basketball. And others have done the same thing when they've chose the uh, Major League Baseball because NFL has a disadvantage without the 100% guaranteed contracts. What's the book on Dustin Eldridge? Are you a power-hitting outfielder? You're a contact-hitting infielder? You're a starter? You're a relief pitcher? What's the, what's the book on Dustin Eldridge for any scouts that might be listening? Well, I did play baseball most of my life, so I was a utility outfielder, could pretty much play every position, um, and hit anywhere, lead off uh, to second, and was high on base percentage. So probably a high high war. I would be a uh, a stat, uh, I guess, player. I would be one of the people that Moneyball would like to have on the roster. I like that. Just in case anybody's listening, he's also available, but he doesn't work weekends. I'm just saying because he's got stuff to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, today it's been my privilege to have a conversation with Dustin Eldridge, a certified financial planner with Carter Wealth. Dustin, thanks so much for taking the time today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries. 